Hello, everyone, and welcome to my podcast. If you're new here, welcome. If you're not new here, welcome back. Just kidding. This is the first episode. You guys, I'm so excited for this, okay? It's been long overdue. I'm starting this for the same reasons that I started sharing my story on TikTok, you know? I mean, like, as a coping mechanism, of course, but also to help you guys to give some big sister advice, some bad bitch advice from one person to another about how I've dealt with my situation, my shitty ass situation. And of course, being absolutely raw and transparent with you guys on everything that I've been through, everything that I'm feeling, down to like my deepest, darkest thoughts. I'm sharing that all with you guys here and now. And this episode in particular is going to be your three-step guide on how to bounce back from literally anything. I think it's safe to say where I'm at now, how I've gotten from point A to point B, I have a system mastered, if you will. I have a routine (laughs) designed for when shitty things happen to me and how I take the cards that I was dealt with and turn them into something better. I went from having the life I always planned for to then having the life I always feared and now... I'm living the life I always dreamed of. And I know that sounds cheesy as fuck, but this is, and I kid you not, my hot girl guide on how to bounce back from literally anything. Grab your popcorn, grab a snack, sit down, and buckle up because I'm about to tell you how I've done that. First things first, I would be lying if I said that the moment that shit hit the fan, as I like to say, and the moment that I went from being a perfectly healthy teenage girl to then being extremely chronically ill that I had a perfect attitude to begin with. That's a fucking lie. Absolute bullshit. Okay. I had months where I literally just sat in my depression hole and I mastered step one and step one is cry about it. I cried about it every single day, probably 24 seven. Okay. May I remind you that I didn't have a choice when I got my first ostomy, the temporary one. Absolutely not. The doctors literally had to give it to me to save my life. So I didn't have much input there when that decision was being made. So it was something that I needed to deal with, whether I liked it or not. And that process and how I dealt with at the beginning, I wish I could show you guys a video. I wish I could like go back in time and literally just show you guys how raw those moments were where I was literally just sobbing in my hospital bed, thinking the most deepest, darkest thoughts that you could possibly imagine over this thing that was on my body and how badly I wanted that not to be the case. Like any situation that's presented to us, there's a process of acceptance, right? And the process of acceptance doesn't mean that you just accept it right away. Obviously, there's steps to get there. Step one is processing that information, sitting with it, and feeling it out, you know, kind of like understanding how that situation makes you feel. And step one is all about that. I've had a lot of situations this year that probably would have knocked anyone off their feet. And It honestly did knock me off my feet for a little bit. But my process was always to cry about it, swear about it, and tell everyone to fuck off. But within reason, of course. You're allowed to be a living, breathing bitch, but remember to be kind to those that are trying to help you. Within my process of, like, telling the world to fuck off, I never was mean to those who loved me and that I loved back. My parents, it's not their fault. My nurses, it's not their fault. The doctors, it's not their fault either. You know, I've had a lot of medical trauma. I've had a lot of doctors that have fucked up and done things wrong, but I never hold that against them and I never let my emotions get the best of me because it's literally no one's fault. It's not your own fault. It's, it's nobody else's 
There's no reason for you to take it out on anyone else. That's just wasting your energy. The only thing that you can really do is sit there and cry and feel whatever you need to feel, but don't take it out on anyone else, ever. That's rule number one. There were multiple moments this year, multiple situations where I had to just sit in my depression hole and cry it out. And the first one was obviously when I got my ostomy bag for the first time. The second one was when my boyfriend of two years decided to end things while I was literally on my deathbed. And the third was when I made the decision to go ahead and get this permanent ostomy bag and to get my butthole sewn up. That was a decision that I made that I knew, I knew what I was getting myself into. But regardless of that, that also comes with really, really heavy emotions. And I had every right to sit there and be upset, even though that I had taken the situation into my own control and decided that this is what I needed. The best advice that I can give you is to feel whatever you need to feel. There is no right or wrong emotion. Whatever you're feeling is a totally natural and reasonable response to whatever you're going through. And that's just your body's way of coping with your situation. It's perfectly okay to feel bad about yourself and sit in your depression hole. Actually, it's quite healthy because feeling is healing. And I know that sounds so cheesy and you guys probably see that literally everywhere, but it's true. The more that you sit with your emotions and the more that you think about them and the more that you try to process them, that's the first step of you like trying to accept the situation. It doesn't mean that you've mastered the art of acceptance, but it's at least a step in the right direction. The more that you sit there and try to understand what this emotion is, what it's making me feel like and how it's causing me to react, the easier it's gonna be for you to crawl yourself out of this depression hole. So let me be clear, okay? It's 100% necessary to sit in your depression hole. Actually, if you haven't, I think there's something wrong with you because we've all been there. (laughs) And I've been there multiple, multiple, multiple times. What you're not allowed to do though is to stay there. You're allowed to dig your way out, not down. The further that you dig yourself down, the harder that it's gonna be to get yourself out. So I always give myself the three-day rule. And the three-day rule, you might be asking yourself, three days is not enough, Paula. No, no, no. Let me just be clear here. Three days and I am at least getting up and brushing my teeth. Three days and I am at least feeding myself a meal. But during those three days, I allow myself to literally lie in my bed, be dead to the world, and just fall off the grid for a little bit. I lock myself in my room. I grab a box of tissues and I just cry for three days straight. I grab a journal, or I don't. I try to write about my thoughts, or then again, I don't. Sometimes I just lie there and I'm just like numb, like literally just like absolutely numb. And those three days are solely to be mad at the world and to allow yourself to feel bad about yourself, quite literally, because it's totally valid to feel bad about yourself. And once again, it's a very natural response. It's the same way that your parents feel bad that you're going through this. You should also feel bad for yourself too. Like, So it's absolutely reasonable to feel that way. Those three days often look like doing absolutely nothing. Like I'm giving my 0%, but at the same time, I'm giving my 100%. Because as you guys may know, showing up for yourself looks absolutely different every single day. But what I'm saying is, this is me showing up for myself. This is me literally doing what I need to survive. And so I allow myself to sit there those three days and do what's best for me. And that is to do literally nothing. But once those three days are done, and once those three days are up, my job is to get up. Because for those three days, I didn't leave my room. I barely ate. I heartily hydrated myself. And I most certainly did not interact with anyone. And 
I find that like after that three day mark, if I just continue that pattern, I just continue that trend, it's only gonna get worse and I'm only gonna dig myself deeper. So on the fourth day, I wake up and I brush my teeth. And that's step one, literally getting out of bed. It sounds like the simplest thing, but boy oh boy, does it feel like the hardest possible thing out there. So I've mastered step one. I've sat there, I've processed, I've cried and I've grieved. We do a lot of grieving constantly. Anyone with a chronic illness is constantly grieving their healthy self. So this is the hardest part. You've grieved a little bit. This is just the beginning. And then on day number four, I don't feel better. I actually feel worse. I don't feel happier. I actually feel sadder, but that's exactly why I need to get out of bed and I need to do something. I need to literally just put one foot in the right direction and move forward. Like I said, it's not three days and you're magically cured. Absolutely not. It's three days that you've allowed yourself. And after those three days, you continue your process of grief. You continue to feel what you need to feel, but in a different space and in a different kind of light. On this day, I will be crying through every meal. I'll be literally like carrying my tissues around with me because I'll just be an absolute mess, sobbing, dragging my feet behind me, barely getting any words out. I'm literally going to cry thinking about this because it's just so emotional. To dig yourself out of the depression hole is the most rewarding feeling that you can possibly have ever, in my opinion, because this is something that nobody else can do for you. Sure, people can encourage you, but nobody can do this job for you. So once you've gotten past that step and once you've, you know, clawed your way out of that well all the way to the top until you started seeing the light, that is an indescribable feeling that nobody will ever be able to understand until they've been there themselves. So day four comes with a lot of emotions. It's like a lot of, okay, I did it. I got past the worst of it. And now I'm trying to get through an even harder part. So you've gotten past step one, but it's nowhere near done. You will continue to be upset. You will continue to feel absolutely shitty and totally off. Like every negative emotion will still be coursing through your veins, but you're no longer in bed and you're no longer in that depression hole. You're still depressed, but you're not in a hole. You've now seen the light and now it's your job to get up and look hot. I don't know about you, but when I look hot, I also feel hot. First step is brushing your teeth, then wiping your face, then brushing your hair. Sometimes I'll do a full deep body shower, which are literally the most restorative things in the universe when you're feeling depressed. I I literally will just shower the depression away and I honestly fuck with it so hard. But if it's a low spoons day and if like On top of being absolutely chronically depressed, I'm also chronically ill that day. I'm chronically ill every day, what am I saying? I'm just like really not feeling well that day. That's basically what I mean. Then I will do the bare minimum, which is just whatever I can do that day. Um, If I'm feeling really up for it, that's when I'll do like a full deep body shower and I'll also do my makeup. And like with no plans, with no intention of going out of the house, but I always find that doing my makeup and my hair And just restoring that little piece of confidence with the help of like a couple cosmetics and stuff like that really helps me get out of my funk. I might be crying my way through the makeup routine and I might be like sobbing as I'm doing it. But hey, I'm doing something for me. Another thing that I like to do, and actually this should have been step one, but cleaning your depression hole is key. And sometimes I'll do this myself if I have the energy to, but most of the time my mom will offer help and I will ask her for help as well because it's a lot and it's a lot of energy to clean your room some days. So my mom will step in and she will help me tidy up. I have like cups, you know that, you know that nightstand in the corner with like 
seven cups that you've accumulated over the week. She'll clean that for me. She'll clear that. Um, I'll like do my bed, which is essential because there's no better feeling than putting on a fresh set of sheets and then getting in post-shower. It literally is unmatched. So anyways, I've cleaned my room. I've gotten up. I've brushed my teeth. I've done my hair or like washed my hair, whatever. I'm feeling refreshed. I feel a little bit better, like 1% better. Still sad, still cried through the shower, still cried while cleaning my room. But you know what? This is a step in the right direction. I've already challenged myself to get out of bed and I've done it and I've done an amazing job at it. Next, I love to treat myself because like I said, step one is the hardest possible step that you could have gone through. And what better excuse for you to do an online shopping spree than this? I usually find something online that will get me excited to live my life again. Whether that's an outfit or like some type of like electronic that I might use or just like anything really. Like I'm like literally it can be it can be $2 and it can be like $500. It doesn't matter. Whatever I think will bring me happiness and give me something to look forward to, that's what I'll buy. So for example, after my practicalectomy, I went on an insanely expensive shopping spree, which I don't regret at all because I bought myself a summer wardrobe of outfits that I said I would wear regardless of my situation, regardless if I was in bed or out with friends that I would bring some good use to. Okay, I just thought of something else, but while I was in bed, literally doing nothing, uh, this was after the proctocolectomy surgery, my best friend sent me a list, a shared notes app of everything that we wanted to do this summer, big or small. Um, at that point in time, I could barely leave my room. So really everything felt like a huge win to me. So the list consisted of like going on a walk in nature or going to the city out for lunch. And it even had going to Montreal to meet up with each other. And so that really gave me something to look forward to. And what I'm getting at here is I think it's really important to get yourself excited about living again. While you're in that depression hole, you need something to hold on to. You need a flotation device, something to keep you afloat and not drowning. And what I find that helps me the most is this exactly, just something that I can like, some plans or like a gift that's coming in the mail, like happy mail or just anything really that just gets me looking forward to the future. And while I'll be excited about getting there and checking off all those things on that list with my best friend that I really so badly want to do, I'll remind myself that it takes baby steps and it takes a while and it's a process. I can't just go from being bed bound to going on a trip with her to Montreal, right? I have to slowly work my way up. And that's what I'll do another thing that I'm sure you guys are really familiar with, but it's hot girl walks. And hot girl walks for someone that's chronically ill look absolutely different every single day. And my hot girl walks post proctoclectomy were freaking hilarious because I literally could you not, I would put my headphones on and go from my room to the kitchen and from the kitchen to my room and eventually from my room to the mailbox and from the mailbox back. And I went from that, like literally tiny, tiny walks to then to walking a 5k three months later. And from that to doing a solo trip by myself to Montreal. So let's just recap. Step two, looking hot is literally anything that makes you feel hot. Not physically. It can also be just like what gives you that confidence boost. Anything that will um, get you from that depression hole to being at least a little bit excited about life and remembering who the fuck you are, basically. <laughs> but for me, it starts with putting on a matching set 
and showering and just feeling put together. So we've gotten past step one and two now, which were critical, absolutely necessary. Step three is when we move on. And moving on is accepting what situation we're in and choosing to take control over it. It doesn't mean that we forget about everything that's happened and we forget about what we're going through. It basically means I fucking hate the cards that I was dealt with, but look at me, I'm gonna take them. And although they're shitty cards, I'm gonna turn them into a fucking awesome play. So in my situation, I went from everything going to plan to absolutely nothing going to plan. And not only was it no longer going to plan, but it was my absolute worst nightmare. And I somehow managed to turn all of that into the life that I've always dreamt of. And that's simply because I love a good challenge. Every time that life has knocked me over, it gave me all the power and motivation to bounce back even harder. Sure, I was like really upset about it for a while. And like, like I said, obviously I cried about it for so long, but even while I was so depressed about it, I was constantly reminding myself, I cannot wait to show up and prove to everyone and myself that I can bounce back from literally anything. I don't know what it is. I honestly couldn't put it into words if I wanted to. It might be the overachiever in me, but I just genuinely love looking life in the face and being like, you tried to knock me down, fuck you, watch me get up even stronger. And so obviously with those challenges that life has shown me, uh, there are a lot of times where I feel defeated and a lot of times where, you know, I was sitting in that depression hole and I think like, I can no longer do this. I won't be able to do this anymore. And that's when I have to remind myself, I can't do it yet. Baby steps and I'll get there. If I can't do it yet, I will be able to soon, but I can't expect to go from zero to hundred percent. It takes baby steps. And a huge part of accepting my chronic illnesses and my situation and how limited I feel sometimes is accepting that I can do everything but with modifications. And that is so true. I constantly love stepping outside of my comfort zone and just seeing what I'm capable of because the only barrier that gets in my way 99.9% of the time is myself. But once I break that barrier of things I think I can't do and things that I know I can do, I slowly start to remember that this chronic illness is not 100% me. It hasn't taken over my personality. It hasn't abducted my identity. I'm still Paula pre-diagnosis, just with a little bit more barriers that I know that I can overcome. Something that I actually love to do, and I think is extremely healthy of me to do, and I recommend this 100%, is to make a list of all the things that make you you. This includes personality traits, talents, people that love you, and things that you love. And once you've accumulated that list, take a look at it and ask yourself, what from this list has changed because of my diagnosis? I can guarantee you that you'll realize that not much has changed. Like on my list, for example, uh, I had on my list that I was a very happy, positive person. And at the time that I made the list, I didn't identify as that. I was extremely depressed and angry at the world, but I reminded myself that, of course, this is a natural response to my situation, but just because I'm there now doesn't mean that I have to stay there. And that's my point exactly with step three about moving on. You know, you don't have to stay stuck in that depression hole. Feel free to stay as long as you need to in order to survive, but take the extra step to challenge yourself and remind yourself that you are capable of pushing forward And that's when you'll realize that this chronic illness does not have control over you. You have 100% control over it. And obviously remember that you're allowed to feel whatever you need to feel. And just because you're past step one doesn't mean that 
that everything inside of it just stops. You know, unfortunately, grieving a healthy version of yourself and accepting that that's someone that you'll never get to meet again is extremely disheartening. And it's like a whole process of grief as if you're grieving a loved one who died. So be gentle with yourself. And remember that this process takes time. There is no rush. You are where you need to be and you will get to where you need to be. What's important is for you to just be in tune with your body and your emotions and to give yourself what you need in order to survive. So this is your first of many lessons on how to survive and simultaneously thrive. As long as you're showing up and trying again tomorrow, that's all that matters. You're one step closer in the right direction to being that bad bitch that bounces back from literally anything. And if I can do it, so can you. See you guys next week.